0: All right, so we're continuing a series we began last week on joy. For those of you who were not here last week or were not able to watch the um, online service, Just want to encourage you, there is a prequel to this series that you can find on our website. It's the April 10th sermon series, it's the sermon series on on which April 10th I preached on joy, overflowing with joy. That's sort of a prequel to get us into this series. And And if you really want to understand some of the concepts that you may hear today, and you may say, wait a second, I thought joy and happiness were two distinct, very distinct things. Why is Stuart acting like they're very they're close synonyms? Go back to that sermon and you'll hear that. And you'll hear a lot of other things that misconceptions that we have about joy in that sermon. Uh, but last week we started this, the series proper, and we're talking, we, last week we talked about how joy is a gift from God. That if we want joy, the first place we should go is to God. We should go to Him and say, okay, God, you are a God of joy. You give joy. Give us joy. Give me joy if we're struggling with joy. Today, we're going to see that joy is relational. And if you want to know more about that, we're going to talk about it in the series, in the sermon. So we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and they were overrun by some teachers who were saying all kinds of things that was tearing the church apart in many ways, and they were uh, arguing with each other and frustrated with one another. And into that kind of situation, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. "'For you were called to freedom, brothers,' one another. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, this is your word even though Paul wrote the words down and sent it to the church in Galatia, by the Holy Spirit this is your word to us today. Uh, So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and, and a soul and a heart, a very center of our being that will receive this word for what it is your truth that is good for us and that we would hear your word and respond with real faith, with real repentance, turning away from sinful ways and that we would respond with real obedience that, and that we as a congregation would grow in, in joy, real Holy Spirit brought about joy and only you can do that. So would you produce that within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but back in 2018, I believe it was, Dr. Laurie Santos, a psychology professor at Yale University, taught a class called The Psychology of the Good Life. And in this class, what she really wanted to do was to show what peer-reviewed scientific research shows about being happy, becoming happier. So she did this class back in 2018. She expected about 30 people to sign up. There's a little bit more than that. In fact, 1,200 students registered for this class. 1,200 students, in other words, almost one out of every four undergraduates at Yale signed up for this class. The class was so big they didn't have a room that would accommodate it other than the university concert hall. She had to recruit 28 graduate assistants to help her um, grade the exams. And she had to book 13 different um, rooms, classrooms, all across the campus just to be able to give the exams. And she actually claims that the day that she gave the exam, she wanted to make sure she went to each classroom that she ran almost two miles just trying to get to each classroom. The class was so popular that Dr. Santos made the class available online for free, you can sign up today. Anyone who wants to take it, and to date, the last time I checked, four million people have signed up to take this class. Four million people. What might we conclude from all this? I kind of think it's obvious. We're hungry for happiness. Right? We all want a little more joy in our lives. We all want to expand our gladness quotient. But if I can revise a, a Johnny Lee lyric, from the 1980s. Now I'm, in t- I'm talking way back now, right? For some of you, you don't even know who Johnny Lee is. For some of you, you don't know what the 80s were. <laughs> but if I can take his lyric and just change one of the words, we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. Looking for joy in all the wrong places. We tend to think things like, if I just had enough money, I would be happy. If I was more successful, I would have real joy. If I was better looking. If I was more popular. If I had nicer stuff. If I lived somewhere else. If I had a better job. Then happiness and joy would just overflow in my life. You know what the truth is? Those things never fill our joy tank, at least not for long. Ask any rich person. Ask any famous person. Ask any person who's done any of those things, and you will find that once they get that, they want more. It's like a hole that just cannot be filled. I would say that part of the reason why these things don't bring sustainable joy in their lives is because we have misunderstood a fundamental part of what it means to be joyful. We've we've missed a fundamental aspect of the nature of joy. You want to know what that is? Relationship. Joy, this is the main point for today, joy is fundamentally relational. Joy is fundamentally relational. Now, if you search through your Bible, you're not going to find that phrase, all right? So I, I will be very clear on that. But as you read the Scriptures and you see the sense behind all of the things that God tells us about who He is and who we are and what He wants for us, you will find... This idea behind most every passage that mentions joy. That joy has something to do with relationship. Let me show you by unpacking that idea out of Galatians chapter 5. All right, so we'll start in verse 13. Paul writes, by the inspiration of the Spirit, "...for you were called to freedom, brothers." Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Real quickly, what Paul is saying there is that you have a freedom that God has given you in Christ. Don't use that freedom in a way that will hurt other people, in a way that will harm other people. But instead, use your freedom to love one another and to serve one another. See, relationship, all right? Then verse 14... For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, everything that God commands can be summarized by this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Relationship. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, if you're at each other's throats one day you're going to find that you're eaten up. Eaten up with anger. Eaten up with jealousy and envy. Eaten up with bitterness, frustration. Relationship. Those are issues of relationship. And then Paul sets up the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Hang with me for a minute. Verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he spells out this list, right, of of different things. Now, some of these are obviously relational oriented. They're very, you're very quickly, you can say, oh yeah, that's about relationship. Sexual immorality, relationship. Sensuality, relationship. Enmity, relationship. Strife, relationship. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, orgies, all of those are sins that, affect the relationships that are around you, right? We can all see that. Some of the other ones that you might go, well, that doesn't have anything to do with relationship. Think about it. Impurity. Impurity spreads like a disease among people. Think about in the Old Testament, when God's people were out in the desert and heading to the promised land, he said, look, if any of you are unclean, if you've done something that makes you unclean, impure, then you are to distance yourself from other people. Why? Because that uncleanness, that impurity spreads. It's like if you have a white glove and you're talking to someone and they say shake my hand and they have a muddy hand, that white glove is gonna get some dirt on it. It's gonna get some mud on it, it's gonna be dirty. You cannot come in contact with impurity without it spreading. That's about relationship. If you have impurity in your life, it will spread to others in one way, fashion or form. Think about idolatry. If nothing else, idolatry is relational in terms of our relationship with God, right? Because idolatry is about worshiping something other than God. And so our relationship with God is askew. But think about it this way. If I am worshiping something that is not God, and you see me doing that, that's going to affect you. Relationship. Sorcery, something very similar. Sorcery is trying to use power reserved for God alone. I'm trying to have the power that only God has and use it for my own selfish means. Well, what's that going to happen? What what is that going to happen if I have that kind of power? It's going to affect you in negative ways. Right? And then, of course, drunkenness. Hopefully, you can see the connection even easier with this one. Drunkenness lowers our inhibitions and keeps us from having self-control. And if you've ever been around an angry drunk, you know that is not a good thing. If you've ever been around a drunk who's just telling you like it is, that is not a good thing. Right? So all of these sins are relational sins. In fact, I would argue that every sin is a relational sin if you think about it long enough you can always find because jesus i mean because god says in his word here that every command is summarized by love your neighbor as yourself that's about relationship so every breaking of that command would be a relational sin every single one so everything that paul has said so far is talking about relationship and then he gets to verse 22 He contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is... And then he goes on to list those fruit. Now think about this. It's easy to see how many of these, if not most of these, are definitely relational. Love. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, goodness is about not just I am a good person, but if you're a good person, you're going to share that goodness with another person, right? Faithfulness, faithfulness isn't just about me being faithful to my word, it's being faithful to my word so it doesn't harm you or others. Relationship, gentleness, relationship, self-control. If I don't have self-control, it's going to harm you. Therefore, self-control helps in our relationships. The two that may not be as obvious to us are joy and peace. Now, again, I know this is, a, this is a knowledge dump. I acknowledge that. I'm putting a lot of stuff out here just to make this main point. But I want you to hear this because this is important. When we think of peace, we tend to think personal peace. I feel good inside. That, and that's the way we read the scriptures, or we think the absence of war. One of those two. I would argue from scripture that whenever the scriptures use the word peace, they primarily mean something much bigger and better than just the absence of war. You can have the absence of war and not have peace. You can feel good on the inside and there not be peace. Peace, the Hebrew shalom, it means wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, well-being. It's it's like when Jewish people, when they meet each other and when they leave, they say shalom. And what they're saying is peace be to you, wholeness and well-being be to you. And that is what this passage is talking about. When we talk about peace being fruit of the Spirit, it's not just an inner peace that I experience. It is a peace that is shared with others. It is a relational peace. We have peace with God through Christ, and that allows us to have peace with one another. So if all of that is true, why would we think that joy isn't relational? Why would we think that joy isn't connected to our relationships? I mean, even the way this passage ends is still on a relational theme. In verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This whole passage is about relationships. So why would we say joy is not relational? It is. For years, Dr. Uh, James Wilder, you may or may not have heard of that name, he's been working to uh, show the insights that you can gain from looking at the intersection of neuroscience, that's about the brain, and theology, reading the scriptures. He's been trying to show what the intersection of those two things find. And here's what he's found from studying both what goes on in your brain and from scripture. In his book, Joy Starts Here, he says, joy is relational. Joy is the twinkle in someone's eye that makes their face light up when they see us. Both the Bible and neuroscience affirm that joy is a relational experience. See, he, like, mapped the brain, and then when you have a joyful experience, like when you're seeing someone who wants to be with you, that area of your brain just lights up. Now, if you're you're doubting all of this, at least think about your own experience. Think about one of the most joyful experiences you've ever had in your life. All right, Just, just pick one. Was there another person involved where you experienced and shared that joy with them? The day that I asked Donna to marry me, It's a joyful day, especially after she said yes, (laughs) right? The day we got married, the day we had our three children, not on the same day, but you know. All of those days, they had something to do with a relationship, right? And even those days, even those things that I can think of where there was a moment of joy that there was nobody around, I connect that with my relationship with God because He was the one who gave me the gift of that moment. He was the one who gave me the gift of feeling that joy and experiencing that joy. I don't think you can get away with it. Joy is always in some fashion or form relational because first and foremost we have a relationship with God and then second joy is meant to be shared and experienced together. Now, I'm gonna to try to do this part quickly, but that means that selfishness and self-centeredness are in opposition to joy. See, and this is part of our problem. Selfishness and self-centeredness, it's in opposition to joy. See, we think that if I get everything I want, then I'll be happy. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God designed it to be. I mean, Again, think about verses 19 and 21... ...and I won't read all of this... ...but he says, the works of the flesh are evident... ...and he gives all these sinful things. What does every single one of those things have in common? Selfishness. Self-centeredness. This is about me and what I want. I want this pleasure. I want this enjoyment... I, I, I. It's all about me. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is not only love and gentleness and faithfulness and, and patience and all of those, but it's joy. Joy is opposed to self-centeredness and self-centeredness is opposed to joy. You know, um, Armand Nikolai, in the book The Question of God, C.S. Lewis and Sigmund Freud debate God, love, sex, and the meaning of life, says this, No aspect of life is more desired, more elusive, and more perplexing than happiness. People wish and strive for what they believe will make them happy. Good health, attractive looks, an ideal marriage, children, a comfortable home, success, fame, financial independence. The list goes on and on. Not everyone who attains these goals, however, finds happiness. You know why? Because they're pursuing it out of a selfish motive. Whenever it's all about what I want, we're robbing ourselves of the experience of joy. Anytime it's all about me, I rob myself of real joy. Because you see, God's design is that joy is to be experienced and shared with others. God's design for joy is that it's experienced and shared with others. Again, think about verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, which is to be shared and enjoyed Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are to be shared and enjoyed. Put it this way. If someone came up to you and said, I'm a very loving person. But then they treated everybody like trash. You would say, no, that person is not a loving person. If someone said, I'm a patient person. But then, everybody who comes across their path, well, you know, they're not patient with them. (laughs) Then, we would say, that claim of being patient doesn't make sense. If someone was to say, I'm a kind and gentle person, but they're insensitive and harsh and cruel, we we would conclude rightly that that person is either lying about being kind and gentle, or... They're self-deceived, right? Every one of these, you could talk about it that way. So if someone says, I'm a joyful person, but treats other people badly and never experiences joy with someone else and never shares that joy with another person, something is amiss. I know this isn't what this passage is directly intended for, but I think it just shows the way we are. In, in Luke 15, when um, Jesus is talking about this pair of these parables about how there's something that's lost and then it's found, he says this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, but he doesn't stop there, right? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Or the next parable, when A woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of those coins, does not light a lamp and and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. If we find a restaurant that we really like, we really enjoy, don't you go and share that with someone else. If you find a book that you really enjoyed, don't you say, hey, this is a great book because you want to share that experience of joy. That's what joy is really about. As a Swedish proverb says, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. When we share our joys, we actually double our joy, just as when we share our sorrow, we half it. And this lines up perfectly with what Jesus himself says in John 15, which we'll keep coming back to this verse over and over again because we really need this drilled into our heads. John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, shared, experienced, together. I want the joy that I have, Jesus says, to be your joy. And I want your joy to be full. That is the nature of joy. It is relational. It is not to be, as the song says, kept way down deep in our heart. It's meant to be shared and experienced with others. And here's the good news for those of us who struggle with joy. Jesus frees us to experience and share joy with others. Jesus frees us to experience and share joy with others. Again, I know we're about at time, but I want you to stay with me. Stay with me for this because this is powerful if you get it. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. What kind of freedom were we called to if we believe in Jesus? We, were called, we are called to the freedom from the penalty of sin. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've done things with our actions, with our words, with our thoughts... ...that are against what God says. And yet, Jesus has taken that penalty of our sin... ...which is death upon himself at the cross... And because he did that, we are now freed from that penalty. Those of us who believe in Jesus, we do not have to fear death. Because it is not the final say. Jesus has the final say for us. And that final say is enter into my joy. We also have the freedom from domineering power of sin over our lives, before we were slaves to our sin, but now Jesus has given us the power by his Holy Spirit to say no to sin and to say yes to what is right. So when he says you were called to freedom, brothers, this is the freedom that he's given to us. As he further talks about in verse 18, if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, so sorry, when you think about being led by the Spirit, most of us think, okay, I'm listening to the Spirit and I'm being directed by the Spirit to do what he's calling me to do. But the way Paul is using it in this passage is different. Hear this. He's basically saying something like this with this argument. Look, if you're led by the Spirit, if you're hearing the Spirit's voice, then that means the Spirit's in you. And if the Spirit is in you, then you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, you're not under the law anymore. The law's curse doesn't apply to you anymore. Because Jesus took that curse upon himself. Jesus took the curse of sin so that we would be freed from it. And the law of God always brings a curse to anyone who fails to meet its requirements. But Jesus met the requirements of the law, and then he took the curse upon himself anyway, and then says, You're free from the curse. That, in and of itself, should bring us great joy. And then, according to Paul, he's not the only one who died. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not will crucify, not might crucify, they have. we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ because when Christ was crucified on the cross and he took our sin upon himself, that old person died and now I'm a new person and I'm going to think of myself that way Not that I won't struggle with sin, I will. Not that I won't um, fall every once in a while, I will. Maybe even more than every once in a while. But, ultimately, I'm a different person. Because that old me is dead and buried. And now there's a new me. And that leads us all back to verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom for selfishness and self-centeredness. Don't use this freedom that Christ purchased for you by his death and resurrection to just be, it's all about me. No, instead, love each other. Serve one another. And verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Our freedom in Christ allows us to experience these things because the Holy Spirit resides in us. And because the Holy Spirit resides in us and Jesus has freed us from all the bad stuff from sin, that makes us be able to have joy. And not only to have joy for ourselves, but to experience and share that joy with other people. Look, maybe you don't think that's good news, but I'm gonna tell you as a guy who, um, well, every time I've taken a personality test, I'm always on the melancholy side of the personality tests. Supposedly I'm an Enneagram four, which I was reading this week And and one author describes an Enneagram 4 this way, listen to this, this is not nice. (laughs) They typically, this is my personality type now, they typically have problems with melancholy, self-indulgence, and self-pity. Another author said they can be perpetual angsty teenagers. Wow. So on the, um, I'm going to do my own personality scale here. On the uh, Winnie the Pooh scale of personalities, I've always leaned more towards Eeyore than Tigger. There you go. If you don't know who those people are, I'm the one with his head down, okay? To me, this is such good news because Jesus doesn't come to me and say, well, Stuart, that's just who you are. You're just a melancholy person and you're never going to experience joy. So you just might as well get used to being sad all the time. That's not what Jesus says to me. Now what Jesus says is joy is your destiny. Joy, wonderful, delightful, satisfying, joy. And you, Stuart, and you, any of you who suffer from the same kind of maladies that I do, you can experience something of that joy even now, even today, in this fallen, messed up, screwed up world that we live in, Because the Holy Spirit resides in you, and because the Holy Spirit resides in you, He can produce and will produce joy. He will. May not be an easy process. May take a lot of time. And the ultimate joy will be when we see Jesus face to face. But even now, we can find joy. ...in this life. I hope that's an encouragement to you... ...because it sure is to me. For most of my life I've lived thinking... ...I will never be a joyful person. Now I'm looking forward to seeing... ...how God is going... ...to fill me up with joy. So an action point for today... ...relying on the Spirit... ...seek opportunities... ...to experience... ...and share joy with others... Seek opportunities to experience and share joy with others. If joy is really to be shared and experienced, if joy is relational, then seek opportunities to do that. Life groups. It's a great way to do that. Our life group met last night and we watched this movie from the 80s. And we experienced some joy together. Just by being together and experiencing that. I would just encourage you, get together with people and let the joy of your relationship bubble up to the surface. And if you're thinking, well, Stuart, that sounds way too, um, that's just some, some way too practical. Because joy is the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Spirit is the one who works this in you. Let me, let me explain something. So, in verse 25 of this passage, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, you're alive because of the Holy Spirit. But then Paul says, hey, you really want this fruit in your life? Keep up with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. What does that look like? It's like getting on an escalator. Right? If you just stand at the bottom of an escalator, like that, and you look at it and you go, I really would like to get to the top. Maybe this escalator will get me there. But you just continue to stand there, you ain't going nowhere. Right? I'll step out so you can see this. But if you take that step, Holy Spirit, I believe you can do this. Take me to joy. He'll get you there. One way or the other, He'll get you there. Even if you fall down, the escalator of the Spirit will still take you all the way up. That's part of the good news. If you take that step of faith, that believing that Jesus really does mean he wants us to be full of joy, and so he filled us with his Spirit so that we will be full of joy. So folks, for God's glory and for our good, let's share the joy God has given us with one another. Let's do that today. Let me pray for us. Lord, will you help us to share the joy that you've given to us, whether it's joy over just eating a a french fry, or if it's the joy of a sunset, or if it's the joy that you placed in us supernaturally by your spirit, cause us to share and experience that joy with others, so that we as a church would grow in your joy, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.